Well, good morning, Genesis Church. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We just, the dads of Genesis wanted to share some terrible jokes with you. So hopefully we got you laughing this morning. I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be a dad. I've got four amazing kids, Jude, Ben, Braun, and Kate that are home. So hello guys. And my amazing wife, they do such a good job of making Father's Day special. And I'm sure some of you dads can, most of you dads can relate to this. They just are so good at getting me gifts that I enjoy. So I'm looking forward to that later. But here's the truth. My wife is the mastermind behind the operation. She is an excellent gift giver. I think I've shared this with you guys before. And so the problem is I've had to up my gift giving game over the last several years. And, and here's, here's the problem. Uh, I'm a practical gift giver and I'm a procrastinator. And that's a really bad combination because what you're gonna get from somebody like me is like an oven mitt, a pair of socks and a pack of gum. And it's not that I don't love you. I know that those are terrible gifts, but I just put it off to the last possible minute. So. I've had to get better at giving gifts, but this Mother's Day, I finally cracked the code and I would love to share my gift giving secret with all of you, but I, I have a favor to ask. Please don't tell my wife, okay? Because I want her to think that I'm actually getting better at, at giving gifts. So here's the deal. I was on Instagram, I was scrolling through and I noticed in my feed an ad for personalized puzzles. Now, here's what you need to know. Our family and especially my wife loves doing puzzles. And so I thought, this is perfect. And so this is what I went and bought. A 500-piece puzzle of our family. And she absolutely loved it, right? In fact, this is such a popular gift that Paul and Jenny Mumal asked to borrow it so they could build a puzzle of our family. So, you know, there you go. There's a good gift idea for you. But you might be thinking, okay, well, but what's the secret? Well, here's the deal. If you don't know this already, you have a big brother. He lives in your phones. He listens to all your conversations. He's on all your smart devices. He tracks all your search patterns and habits. And, and your big brother loves you so much. This is what he does. He shares all that information with marketers. And those marketers want to send you ads for perfect products, like a personalized puzzle of your family. And you just cannot resist them. And so their goal is really simple. What they want to do is send you an ad that's too good to pass up. And they want you to click and read and eventually spend your money on their stuff. So that's, that's the secret. So if you're a bad gift giver like me, all you have to do is take your phone with you everywhere and Big Brother will listen in and he will share your information and he's gonna send you all these ideas and you can be a gift giving hero just like me. So don't, don't tell my wife, okay? Now here's the truth. I have my undergrad degree in marketing. And so I'm kind of fascinated by this technology, but I'm also a little, I'm a little freaked out by it. But here's the thing. This idea of piquing someone's interest to get them to take a next step, it's been around for a long, long time, long before this really creepy big brother type technology. And what we're gonna see today is that in his ministry, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that there was wisdom in inviting people to investigate things for themselves before they made a decision. And we're gonna see a technique that Jesus used that would invite people to take a next step spiritually. And, and here's the thing, it's important for us this technique is, is important for us when it comes to knowing Jesus, but it's also a technique that we can use for the people in our lives when it comes to living out this mission that Jesus has given us to make disciples. So today we're gonna continue our series called Knowing Jesus. And in this series, we're taking a closer look at some events in the ministry of Jesus to learn his character, to learn how he did who he was and how we can be more like him. But just as importantly, we're gonna learn how he did what he did so we can follow his pattern because he lays a really good pattern for us to follow that can help people draw near and understand who God is and how much he loves them. Now we started two weeks ago by looking at the baptism of Jesus. And we learned that the baptism of Jesus is recorded in three of the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record his baptism. And here's what we learned. 
We learn that Jesus was 30 years old when he was baptized and he began his ministry. And that's an important detail to know. But more important than that, all three gospel writers tell us at the moment that Jesus was baptized, a few really important things happened. First, the heavens were rolled away and God the Father spoke from heaven to Jesus and said, you are my son, I love you. Now just imagine what it would be like to hear the audible voice of God saying, you're my son and I love you. But then all the gospel writers also tell us that the Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus and empowered Jesus. Now this is really, really important for us because all the New Testament writers let us know that the same thing that was true for Jesus there can be true for us. When we surrender to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he changes us. He empowers us and he can guide us through our days. And so that was true for Jesus. That's true for us as well. But the gospel of Matthew tells us not only was Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit, but it was the Holy Spirit that led him into the wilderness on a 40-day retreat to draw near to his heavenly father. And while he was there, Satan showed up to tempt him in Oh, I was gonna say in the flesh, not in the flesh, but in person. He, he tempted Jesus face to face. We talked about this last week. And what we learned was not only was Jesus dependent on the Holy Spirit for guidance, but he also trusted in God's word when it came to knowing his true identity and to learning how to live and walk in obedience to God as his heavenly father. And again, think about this. These are patterns that we find in Jesus's life that we can follow in our own lives. Now, today we're gonna pick up the very next story in the early parts of Jesus's ministry, and it's found in the Gospel of John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to John 1 right now. If you don't have one in front of you, go find one, open up there, because I'm going to have you circle some things or write some things down. You're going to want to track along with us. But before we jump into the Gospel of John, I want to tell you two things about it. First, it's written by a guy named John, and John was one of Jesus's closest friends. He was one of Jesus's disciples, and so when he's writing this account for us, he's giving us a front row seat, an eyewitness account to what it was like to be there. So that's one, first thing to know. The second thing is John's gonna tell us about another guy named John, who's, you've probably heard it before, John the Baptist. And both of those Johns knew Jesus and they're both gonna show up in today's story. Now I'll help you determine which John is which, but I want you to know that before we dive into the details of today's story. So we're gonna jump in today by looking at, uh, first by looking at verses 19 through 28. And this is what we learn in John chapter one. John the Baptist was baptizing people in the middle of the wilderness. And here's what's interesting. People from all over the region were flocking to him. Thousands of people were coming to him to be baptized. And this really threw off the religious leaders in Israel. They had no idea who this weird guy in the wilderness was. And they couldn't figure out why people were coming to him. And he was saying, repent, the, the kingdom of heaven is near. And so they went to figure out who he was, who he thought he was. And so they asked, are you the Messiah? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I want you to see John the Baptist's response in verse 23. He says this, John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. So John the Baptist answers their question by quoting a 700 year old prophecy from Isaiah. And what he is saying is I'm not the Messiah, but here's what you need to know. I'm the guy that comes right before the Messiah. So you should pay attention. And then he says this in verses 26 and 27, John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and to untie the straps of his sandals. So John is saying, hey, I know you're looking for the Messiah. I'm not him, but I'm gonna give you a hint. He is in the crowd among you. Now, from a marketing perspective, this is genius. John is piquing their interest and he's saying, you wanna pay attention 
because the deal of a lifetime is coming your way and you don't want to miss it. And then John, the gospel writer, gives us an interesting tidbit of information that you might want to hold on to. Look at verse 28. This encounter between John and the religious leaders took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. Now, if you're like me and you've never been to Israel and your geography of Israel isn't good, that's okay, me too. But what John, the gospel writer, is telling us, here's what you need to know. All of that took place at the same place that John the Baptist had baptized Jesus 40 days before. And that's going to play into our story here in just a minute. But before we get there, I want to show you a pattern that develops in John's writing. Okay, check this out. In verse 29, 35, and 43, John writes the next day, the following day, and the next day. So in other words, John is saying, I'm going to give you four consecutive days of what happened and how I met Jesus and what it was like. So we get a day by day by day eyewitness account. So let's start in verse 29. It says this. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now this is important because 40 days before Jesus had been baptized in this same spot, Jesus comes back to the place where John was baptizing. And when John the Baptist sees him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Now that is a really weird thing to say about somebody in public, isn't it? I mean, that's just kind of odd and bizarre. And, and that was the kind of guy that John was anyway. But I, I just have to ask this question. Why didn't John just say, look, there's the Messiah right there. That's the guy that everybody is looking for. Why, why, why did he say the Lamb of God? Well, here's what you need to know. It seems like he's speaking in code because he is. John the Baptist must have known that everybody was waiting for the Messiah to show up as a powerful political leader. And John wanted them to know, I guess through revelation from God, he wanted them to know that before he could come as a powerful king, first, he was gonna come off the radar and he was going to sacrifice his life for the sins of the world. And here's the thing, for centuries leading up to this point, good Jews would offer two sin sacrifices every day, one in the morning, one in the evening in the temple as a sin offering to God. And now John the Baptist is saying, here's what I need you to know. God has sent his son into the world to be the final sacrifice for sin once and for all. Behold the lamb of God. That's why he refers to Jesus in this way. Now that's a lot for us to wrap our mind around. And it must've been a lot for those people too, because no one seems to respond to John's invitation to know who Jesus is. And so look what happens in verse 35. The following day, John was again standing there with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the lamb of God. Now pay attention. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Now, if you keep reading, we learn that those two disciples of John the Baptist were actually a guy named Andrew and John, the gospel writer of John. But here's what I find interesting. Those two guys, when they finally understand what John's talking about, they do what guys do best. They made things awkward. They didn't introduce themselves to Jesus. They literally start stalking him. Jesus walks by and they just start walking along behind. And look how Jesus responds in verse 38. Jesus looked around and saw them following and said, what do you want? Now, I don't know how he said it, was it? What do you want? Or what do you want? We don't know, but the guys were making it awkward. He asked them, and look, look what they say. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Okay, this is awkward. Take a time out. Step out of the story. Imagine you're Jesus. If one person stalks you, that's creepy. If two people are stalking you at a close distance, that's really scary. 
And then if those two people say, hey, by the way, where do you live, right? This is where you freak out. This is where you run and you call the cops. But Jesus doesn't freak out. He actually uses this as an opportunity to work his mojo. Now remember, 40 days before he had been baptized in this same spot. He had heard the voice of God say, you are my son. The Holy Spirit had come upon him and he's coming off a grueling 40 day retreat where he had resisted by the power of the Holy Spirit. He had resisted the temptations of Satan. And so I'm gonna guess that Jesus is feeling pretty good. I'm gonna guess that he is embracing this mission that his father has given him. He has a strong sense of purpose. And so when these two weird stalker guys ask him where he's staying, he doesn't speed up and ignore them. He doesn't say, you guys are never gonna believe who I talked to in the wilderness last week. He doesn't give a quick elevator pitch for this new ministry he's starting. He simply makes an invitation to them that they couldn't resist. Look at this, come and see. Where are you staying? Come and see. When these two weirdos express an interest to get to know Jesus, he doesn't freak out. He invites them into his life so they can investigate for themselves. Now, this might not be a big deal to you yet, but personally, I am convinced that this invitation is the key for every one of us that wants to know who Jesus is and who wants to follow his example of making disciples. We're gonna see this pattern play out over and over again, this simple come and see invitation. So if you're taking notes right now, here's what I want you to do. If you're not taking notes, grab something to take notes with. If you've got your Bible in front of you, circle these words, come and see. This is so important. This simple three-word invitation is the key to helping people that are far from God find their way back to God. So look at verse 39. Look at what Jesus says. Come and see. Now listen to this. It was about four, in the a- four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Now this is interesting. We don't know what Jesus and these two guys he just met talked about. We, we have no idea where they went or what they talked about. But what's fascinating is John tells us when he's writing his gospel account, all I know is it was four in the afternoon. I'll never forget the moment that I met Jesus and my life was changed forever. And apparently Andrew felt the same way too. Look at verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. Andrew wastes no time. He goes and he finds his big brother. And then look at the rest of this verse. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. The moment that Simon knew, or the moment that Andrew knew this is the the Messiah, he goes and he finds his brother. He brings him to Jesus. Now I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert. If you don't know who this Simon guy is, he goes on to be a really big deal. One of Jesus's closest friends and the guy that Jesus chooses to launch the church in the book of Acts. But here's what you need to remember. All of that takes place because Jesus issued a come and see invitation to Simon's little brother, Andrew. So I hope you're starting to see the power of this come and see invitation. This isn't a high pressure sales pitch that Jesus uses. It's a simple invitation into his life for people to get to know him. Now I know this is hard, but I want you to think back to BC 19. Now you might be thinking, BC-19, what is that? BC-19 just simply means before COVID-19. Now, I'm kind of proud of myself. I thought of that on my own this week. And since it's Father's Day, I thought I have the right to at least share one bad dad joke. So feel free to share that all week long. But I want you to think back to BC-19, okay? 
you could go to the grocery without a mask. And on, there, there could be these glorious days when you're at the grocery and you're shopping and it's free sample day. Isn't that a great day? You can eat and you can shop and you can go home full and you don't even have to have dinner that night, right? Now, what is so great about that is it, marketers know if they can get us to try their products, we're likely to buy it. And so what do they do? They put hot dogs on the end of a toothpick. They serve up shots of soup in these little paper shot glasses. They want us to buy the soup, right? Or you can go to a car lot and they'll even let you drive a car for a couple of days because they know if you try it, you are likely to spend your money and to buy it. And we live in a world that is saturated with ads and commercials that are always try getting, tr they're trying to get us to try something new, to try a product. And social media companies are spending tons of money on complex algorithms that are designed to change our spending habits because they know it works. But here's the brilliance of Jesus. Long before free samples, test drives, and clickbait, Jesus understood the value of allowing people to investigate things for themselves in hopes that they would grow closer in their relationship with God and even discovering that there is a God and that he loves them. And so this come and see invitation, it's an opportunity for someone that's curious to ask all their questions, all their questions. Come and see is an invitation for someone that's skeptical to investigate the facts for themselves. And for those of us that follow Jesus, come and see is an invitation. It's an offer for us to make friends with people and to meet them right where they are, wherever they are, in hopes that eventually we can have some spiritual conversations and point them in the direction, not just of God, but of Jesus. And here's the thing, come and see, for those of us that follow Jesus, it's not just an invitation. It's, it's a mindset, it's a philosophy that we can adopt. And I wanna be real clear, come and see isn't, hey, come to church with me. Come and see isn't listen to this sermon or, or, or watch this sermon or listen to this song. Those are helpful tools maybe along the way. But if there's anything we can learn from Jesus here, come and see is a lifestyle. It's, an, it's a lifestyle that we can adapt and adopt in order to meet people and to help them discover that there's a God in heaven that, that, that loves them. Now, I remember learning this philosophy, this principle several years ago, and it, it blew my mind. It has changed the way that I interact with Christians and non-Christians alike. And my wife and I have adopted this philosophy in, in the small group that meets in our home, that's been meeting in our home for the last 13 years. And our goal isn't just to have a Bible study on Thursday nights in our home. I mean, that's important, but what we really want is to create an environment where you can show up and you feel comfortable no matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you are spiritually. And our goal is that eventually, eventually we're gonna get around to asking some questions and allowing you to ask your questions. And when, you, when we talk about life, we're just gonna slowly point you to God, specifically through Jesus. And here's the crazy thing, over the last 13 years, we have been really blessed to see several people come to know Jesus in our living room. And it's not because we're that good. It's just we're practicing what Jesus has taught us. We're allowing the spirit to work in this come and see environment. And here's what's really cool. We have seen people come and know Jesus and then they turn around and they invite their friends to come and see. And now it's a group effort. And so every time this happens, Casey and I are just reminded of why we do what we do. Why, we're reminded of this mission that Jesus has called our family to and we absolutely love it. Now, come and see is just the beginning. That's the first invitation. And what we're getting ready to see is that there's another invitation that Jesus issues after come and see. We find it in verse 43. Look at this. <clears throat> the next day, 
Jesus decided to leave town and go to Galilee, he found Philip and he said to him, come, follow me. Now we do not know how well Jesus and Philip knew one another. I'm gonna guess they knew each other a little, but this is a strategic invitation, not just to investigate, but to reorient your life. We see Jesus say, follow me to a, a young tax collector named Levi in the gospel of Matthew. And so with, with Philip and Matthew, what we see is a strategic decision to reorient their lives around what Jesus had for them. Follow me. If I say, hey, follow me, and I walk out of the room, where do you go? You follow wherever he goes. And say they were going to follow and they were going to learn from him. Now, I, I want to stop and I, I want to point something out here. What we're learning isn't just how Jesus met his disciples. That's important. But what we're learning, more importantly, is a method and a pattern that we can follow to make disciples in our own lives. And it comes right out of Jesus' life. And here's what's really cool. We see the disciples practice this pattern as well. Look at verses 44 through 46. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now this is important because he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's like Tipton, really? Sheridan, can anything good come from Pendleton? Look at what he says, Philip, come and see for yourself. This is fascinating. It's recorded on the page of scripture that Jesus' disciples are following his pattern. If you go and read in John chapter four, when Jesus meets with the woman at the well, she runs back into the village and she says, come and see a man who has taught me everything about my life. These are patterns that you and I can follow. And in fact, we got to see this play out in our church family just last weekend. There were four people that were baptized. And what's cool is when, when you come and see, you investigate, but when you make a decision to follow Jesus, you cross the line of faith and you respond by being baptized into him. We saw four people make, make that transition last week in our church family, but here's what's really cool. You probably remember Matt and Lindsay Shirk, two of our Genesis folks made friends with some people that they were able to lead to Jesus. And it all happened because Lindsay invited her coworker to come and see. And the wife invited the husband to come and see and they all became friends. And then we were able to celebrate this transition to following Jesus. And here's what's really cool. And Matt and Lindsay are doing this. They're, they're teaching those folks, hey, this is the pattern that we fall, follow when we follow Jesus. Now there's other invitations that Jesus gives. We're gonna talk about those in the weeks to come. But right now, I just want you to think about the people that God has placed in your life to invite to come and see, or maybe to challenge to follow him. And if, you, if you're skeptical of this, go back and read John 1 again. When, when Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he has zero followers. But then the next day, the following day, and the next day, he collects five men that are willing to travel out of town with him to a wedding in Cana where he's gonna perform a miracle and blow their minds. And this is where his ministry begins to take shape, all because of this simple come and see and follow me invitation. And so as we wrap up today, here's my challenge. I wanna to talk to two different groups of people. For those of us that follow Jesus, this isn't just good to log away in our brain. This is the way we are to live. And so I'm gonna pray in a moment and I want you to be praying, Father, who in my life have you equipped me to, to teach to come and see? Is it a neighbor? Is it a family member? Is it a coworker? Is it a friend? Will it be somebody you're gonna meet this week? This is, this is a lifestyle. So pray and, and he will show you and through the Spirit's help and through time, this isn't like a one-time thing. It's an ongoing conversation, but who is he calling you to, to invite to come and see? How is he equipping you to cha and challenging you to invite people to follow him? And, and I just wanna speak to the dads on Father's Day. 
This is our responsibility. If God has empowered us to be the leaders of our family, that is a tremendous responsibility. We can live a come and see lifestyle that our kids will look at their dad and say, I, I wanna be like him. And this isn't just a dad thing. This is a mom and dad thing. But dads, we cannot shrug off this responsibility. This is, kids, you can live a come and see lifestyle that can influence your mom and dad. We can do this with our neighbors and our coworkers and our families and friends. So who has Jesus put in your life that you can invite to come and see? Now I wanna talk to another group of people. And maybe it's, it's those of you that have been coming for a while and you've been coming and you've been seeing. You've been investigating. You like this virtual service because no one has to know that you're there. We are so glad that you're coming. I'm hoping that you're liking and starting watch parties and all those things. But I wanna follow my rabbi and I wanna invite you. Come and see, take a next step. What are, you, what are you waiting for? Talk to someone that you know that knows Jesus, that can teach you these things. And if you don't know anyone, well, I wanna be that person for you. Our staff would love to be that person for you. So here's what I want you to do. I wanna invite you this week. You can email me at jnaville at genesischurch.me and in the subject line, just put come and see. I'd love to start a conversation with you. I'd love to let you ask your questions. I'm not gonna convince you of anything. I just wanna meet you where you are and help you take a next step. But it doesn't have to be me. Think about who you know that can help you. And here's why this is important. We live in a world that's falling apart right now. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that people are looking for answers to life's questions because we don't know what weird event is gonna happen next. And Jesus simply says, come and see, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus's invitation for us. And so if you don't know him, if you are not confident that you are forgiven of your sins, Jesus says, come here, let me show you. So what are you waiting for? Start a conversation, ask a question, and begin to come and see how good Jesus is. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I'm, I'm so thankful that John wrote this down for us and said, by the way, let me tell you, let me timestamp it. I met him at four in the afternoon one day, and then the next day, the following day, and the next day, he continued to do things that blew my mind. I'm thankful that he recorded that Philip said, hey, come, come and see Nathaniel. I'm thankful for these examples. Would you help those of us, Jesus, that know you personally to look no further than these stories to know how to interact with people that don't know you? Would you help us, Holy Spirit, would you, would you sweep through Genesis Church and through your church around the world? Would you help us to adopt a come and see lifestyle that would be so attractive to outsiders that they couldn't resist. They would understand that there's a God in heaven. They would ask their questions and it, it would stretch us out of all of our comfort zones, but we would see people come and know you. That's our goal. So I pray for my friends, Father, that are far from you. They wanna know you're there. Would you, Holy Spirit, would you move in them to come and see, to start a conversation with somebody this week that can point them to Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We know that everything that happens in this world is under your authority. We pray that you would come soon to rescue us. But in the meantime, Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live bold lives, to live out these invitations, to come and see and to follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.